Hey, it's great to be with you. Thank you for letting me come hang out with you here in the, uh, the beautiful, beautiful woods. I mean, I put on the ground, and I, all I can think about is where I'm going to put my deer stand and, <laughs> and let some corn fall out of the back of the truck and uh, try to see what I can bust something up. I mean, this is just beautiful up here. Pastor Steve, I want to thank you for hosting us up here and, and for all you've done and for this elite team, Dan, you put together. And I, I, I don't know if your description was very well, those guys. But anyways, it's <laughs> great to have that elite team. And, and thank you so much, Ken and, and uh, Terry. And it's just great great to be with you. Um, we're going to have a great time together this weekend. I've, I've been praying about this and trusting the Lord to help us uh, really have a true encounter with Him on, on this weekend. Give you a little background about me. I grew up in Ohio, uh, just north of Cincinnati, Ohio. And uh, football was the primary focus of my life. Uh, I grew up loving the game, playing the game, excelled at the game. And um, uh, I, I remember in high school, I was inspired by my coaches to want to be a coach. Uh, they so inspired me. My, my guys were very compassionate type guys. And I remember one game, I was a sophomore. And I was starting both ways uh, on our varsity team. And I went charged in to make this tackle on this running back. I'll never forget. I had one of those old helmets, old Rydell helmets. Some of you older people know that like. It would ring your bell. And cut your nose every time you'd hit anybody. And I had one of those old Larry Zonka, you know, from, from the time he played for the Dolphins, those little horseshoe deals down here. And I had a little face mask deal. And, and uh, my dad played before the face mask. If you'd seen my father, you'd known he played before the face mask, you know, <laughs> nose on this one side and blown up face. But I went in to make this tackle. And as I did, the guy's face mask went right through my face mask, broke my nose, and knocked out my four front teeth. And knocked me out. I'm on the ground. And I wasn't totally unconscious, but I was in another world, another realm, twilight zone. And uh, I stumbled back to my feet, and the coaches recognized something was wrong when I'm over here standing, staring out into the night sky, you know, and blood's profusely running out of my nose and my mouth. And they were compassionate enough to call a timeout. And uh, they brought me to the sidelines. And uh, I never forget the coach was so kind to me. He looked at me and said, well, Mullins, you've lost those teeth. And I had, I had like one of them still dangling in there, and he reached in and pulled it free of charge. Just <laughs> said, you, you, you don't need that, you know. And, I, and plus, he saved me whatever the dental bill would be. I, I got that shake of the tooth pulled. And he took cotton, stuffed it up there, stuffed it up my nose, and got me a new helmet, put it on, and here were the words that he gave me, words of great compassion. He said, suck it up, son, and get tough, and threw me back in the game. <laughs> so that's what inspired me to be a coach. I said, you know, I, I, I want to be that guy. That, that really has that kind of compassion and impact on kids' lives. You know, I've never been the same since. If I, if, I, if I black out tonight or pause for a moment, stare off into the darkness, you know what it is. I've had too many hits, you know. I've, I've got my bell rung many times. You know, they're worried about all the bells getting rung. I, I thought I was a Liberty Bell. I got so many concussions. But I love the game, and, and I um, went on to play college ball, and after college ball, I had a chance to be a grad assistant at our college, and, and then I fell in love with coaching. And so I went into coaching, I coached football for about 15 years, mostly on the college level. I did some high school uh, coaching as well, and I just fell in love with the game. And you know what was interesting? When I took over, I came back, and I, I went back to my uh, home college, a small uh, Division II school. We were NAIA and Division II. Uh, we had limited scholarships that we could give, so we were always competing with the, with the big boys that, that had more scholarships than us, and so, but I always wanted to learn from the best. So being, growing up in Ohio, I was a big Ohio State fan, and I was a big Woody Hayes fan. You have to be kind of old, the young guys don't know who Woody Hayes is. 
Woody was made famous when he punched a player out in the bowl out there in the Rose Bowl. He, knocked, he decked some kid for mouthing off in a bench, and Woody went, poop, punched him. That was the old school. I mean, the, old, the guys I grew up with, they thought nothing about knocking you out. I mean, my goodness, my coaches would knock you out as soon as look at you. And, and you wouldn't go home and complain about it because then Dad would knock you out for getting knocked out of school. I mean, so hello. You know, it's a different world back then. You know, none of this go to the corner stuff. It's like, boom, you're knocked into the corner. But anyways, that's a whole other story, and I'm going to adjust from all of that. But anyways, so I said, I want to go up and learn from the best. They'd won the national championship, and so I took my, my small college football staff up to Ohio State. To my amazement, after being there for three days with the Ohio State staff, going through all the staff meetings, looking at everything on the inside, going to the practice fields, getting right out there with them, all the drills they're running, everything, to our amazement, they were teaching the exact same fundamentals that we were teaching. Exactly. They were running a lot of the same drills. They were running a lot of the same basic plays that we ran. Here was the difference. They were bigger, stronger faster and more consistent in their execution of the same fundamentals that we were teaching. Wow. Kind of revelation. Then I went to the Cincinnati Bengals training camp. I want to go see them train. I want to go see the pros train. I grew up a Cleveland Browns fan, Jimmy Brown fan. I was, a, I was you know, that's the only team we had back then when I grew up. It was Cleveland Browns. You know, and it, we got any dogs in here? Any of the dog pound people in here at all? Got, 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 got one at... And, <laughs> That was pitiful. That, that was actually pitiful, but that's okay. You know, you, you got to learn to bark. Anyway, so uh, I went to the Cincinnati Bengals training camp, and we spent three days there. We were with the coaches, coaches' meetings, everything, went out on the practice fields, went through all their drills and everything. And when we were done, we're debriefing going, isn't this amazing? They're teaching the exact same technique we're teaching. They're running the same drills that Ohio State was running, we're running. They're teaching the exact same fundamentals. The difference is they're bigger, they're faster, and they execute more consistently than we do. So it's like this revelation hit me. It's, I was looking for the new angle, the new gimmick, the new approach, the new system, the new something. And really what I found out was all about was getting back to the fundamentals and executing them with more consistency and greater excellence that would take our teams to the next level. Here's my prayer for this weekend, is that we will get back to some fundamentals. I don't have anything new to share with you this weekend. I really want to remind you of some fundamentals of the faith. Some fundamentals of your daily walk with God that I believe if we will learn how to execute that more consistently, we will find our lives going to the next level in our walk with God. Amen? There's a, there's a verse of scripture I want to share on tonight. That the Apostle Paul writes to the church at Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and it's verse 7. We're going to focus just on one verse tonight. Tomorrow we're going to focus on a, 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 a great story in, in 1 Samuel. And then uh, tomorrow night we're going, to, we're going to jump into a great story in Luke. But tonight we're just going to focus on one verse. Paul says this to the church. He said, but just as you excel in everything. Notice that. Paul already had a level of expectation of the saints in Corinth. He said, just as you excel in everything, in your faith, in your speech, in your knowledge, in your complete earnestness, and in your love for us, see that you also excel in the grace of giving. Now, what I, what I love about Paul is that Paul is already making this statement 
that we need to live lives of excellence. We need to live lives that truly excel. Lives that stand out from the norm. That's what God's called us to. The big influence of my life growing up was my grandfather. He was my pastor. And he was a man's man. You would have loved him. He would have loved this place. He was about six foot four. Big, I remember his hands were just massive. My grandfather was just a big man. And he loved to fish, loved to hunt, taught me all that stuff. But he loved the Lord. And he loved people. And as a boy, I, I just gravitated to my grandfather because my dad was a truck driver. And he was gone typically six days a week driving long-haul rigs. When he would come home on the weekends, he'd sleep all weekend. So I never got to see my dad. The only time I'd see my dad, he would show up at my Friday night football games. And I'd be out in the field warming up Friday night, listen to that, that big old Cummins engine and hearing him downshift that 18-wheeler pulling into the parking lot from some hall he's made, and he got there just in time to see the game. When I was in college, the same thing. He would take his halls to wherever I was playing our college games, and I would wait to hear that truck pull in. Because that's the only time I really got to see it with my dad. Because he loved to come to my football games. It was just amazing. But my grandfather was the guy that influenced me. His life just transformed my life completely. People ask me all the time, what's the secret to Christ fellowship? What's, what's the secret to the, how you've grown and how you've been blessed and all the things you're doing? I said, real simple. I'm, walking on, I'm standing on the shoulders of my grandfather and my great-grandfather. My great-grandfather was a circuit-riding preacher. By the way, before he came to a preacher, he was a sheriff in a town in Kentucky, shot a guy trying to rob a bank, killed him. Then he went off and got saved, became a preacher, put his guns down, started taking the Word of God with him. I wish he'd kept his guns and the Word of God, you know, but, you know, but I've, I've been blessed with a great heritage. Not everybody has that heritage, but I've been blessed with it, and I, I thank the Lord for it. I want to share with you three, three principles, three, three life fundamentals that my grandfather taught me. It's kind of grandpa's wisdom. Now that I am a grandfather, I appreciate that in a great way, his wisdom. This is getting us back to the fundamentals. Okay, you ready? I'm going to give you three fundamentals, real simply. By the way, in your notebooks, the only thing, Dan, that I didn't like about those notebooks, I looked on the front, that looks like a soccer play designed to run there versus a football play. Come on, let's get it right. What are you doing with soccer? Hello. Um, I, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I couldn't resist that. I had to take a shot at you on that one. If you think soccer is real football, I need to talk to you afterwards, and you need to man up. I need to help you with that. But whatever. In Proverbs chapter 28, verse 20, it says this. A faithful man will be blessed. A faithful man will be blessed. I had the privilege a few years ago to go spend a few hours with Dr. Billy Graham in his home in North Carolina. And I was sitting there with Dr. Graham. It's kind of, kind of Cute. I, I thought cute. I don't know if that's the right word to use, cute, but I thought it was kind of sweet. Let's put it that way. We come in, we meet Dr. Graham, and first thing he does, he offers us a root beer float. So I'm having a root beer float with Billy Graham. I mean, how cool is that? You've got a root beer float with Billy Graham, you know. And, and we spent a couple hours, and it was a, a great experience. I, I, my wife and I, we, I, when we were getting ready to leave, I said, Dr. Graham, would you pray over us? And we went over and knelt down beside him. He was sitting in this, in this kind of wing-back chair, and he put, his, he put one hand on my head, one hand on my wife's head, and prayed God's blessing over our lives. And I didn't know this, but the guy who was traveling with us 
took a digital picture of that with no flash. He just snapped that, took it back, and, and a guy had an oil painting made of that scene of Dr. Graham blessing us. And now that's in our home. So when you guys come down to visit me, I want to show you that picture of Billy Graham. But here is the thing that Dr. Graham kept saying over and over. And I mean, if he said it once, he said it at least 20 times to me over a period of a two-hour conversation. Here's what he said. He said, Tom, I just want to be faithful to the end. I want to be faithful. He kept, he kept saying, I just want to. I said, let's talk about. Let's talk about some of your great campaigns, great crusades, great. He said, Tom, no, no, no. He said, I just, I just want to be. He just kept on about being faithful. And I thought, isn't that something? And here's what Grandpa told me. He said, Son, if you are faithful in the small things, if you're conscientious in the small things of life, you will be in a position to be used of God in the bigger things of life. So doesn't it say that in the scriptures somewhere <laughs> about being faithful with the small things? If God can trust us with a few things, how much can he trust us with more? And sometimes we're looking for this, this big new revelation to take our spiritual walk to a new level when really God is saying, are you faithful in the small things? Are you faithful in the hidden things? Are you conscientious? I've heard it said that it's in the small things of life that we are faithful to that lies our true strength. And character. I believe our character is revealed by how conscientious we are in the small, hidden aspects of life where we remain faithful. Grandpa used to always say, wherever you go, always leave the place better. We've always heard that, right? Always leave it better. If you borrow something, return it better. You know, whatever you do, leave it better. I remember I had this guy on my staff. He's like the third staff member we had. His name was Brian a big old tall, lanky guy, and he's on our staff. And, and um, we used to have, when we had our, we moved into this, our very first facility, I always had a staff meeting right before the morning services. Our first service was 9 o'clock, so at 8 o'clock sharp, actually 7.55, you better be in there and ready to go for this meeting because I'm a coach. And to me, if you, don't, you show up late, that's disrespectful. You will run laps. I don't care if you are a pastor or what you are. <laughs> You'll be out there running laps in your suit, and people go, what's wrong? Oh, I can see he was late to the meeting. Okay, we know that. Okay. You know, I used to make them run laps and then have their Bible. So I'd, I'd get all of them and say, where's your Bible? You got your Bible? You don't have your Bible? I jumped on a doctor the other night, sitting in the front row. I said, where's your Bible? You don't have your Bible? What is it? You're a doctor, and you're leading by example. No, I mean, I just pounded him. People throwing their Bibles up there. Help the poor guy. Give him the Bible. He came next week, two Bibles. He had two of them. He had one under each arm. I said, I loved him. He's my kind of guy. So I'm looking at this guy, and he doesn't show up. It's 8 o'clock. He's not at the meeting. My son's sitting there. He's on staff. I said, where's Brian? Where's, where's Pastor Brian? Well, I, don't, I don't know where he's at. Now it's 5 after. Now I'm really getting upset. Now it's 10 after 8. 10 after 8. He's 15 minutes late. He come walking in the door carrying his, his suit jacket in his hands and adjusting his tie. I said, hey, hey, what's up? Where you been? What's the deal? You know I don't want any people being late to the meeting. I said, we got stuff we've got to discuss and get out here, and then I'm going to go preach about the love of Jesus. Come on. You know, where were you? He walks in and says, Pastor, I, I went into the men's room, uh, and I was here in plenty of time, and I went in, and I found out a child somehow had been over in the corner of the men's room and had had a mess. He made a mess over there. He didn't use any of the, uh, of the urinal or didn't use the commode. He, he just went in the corner. 
He said, so I, I went to the janitorial closet, and I got the stuff out, and I went in there, and I cleaned it all up, and then I decided I better sanitize the room. So I sanitized and mopped the whole room down, sprayed it down, disinfected, and got it all cleaned up, because I know you've always taught us leave everything better than you found it. And I'm going, yeah. <laughs> Here's this guy being like Jesus and going this, you know, doing all this stuff, and I'm going, what in the world? You know what I found out about that guy? He was so conscientious in things like that that he could have let go. He could have, he could have grabbed one of the ushers. He could have grabbed somebody else and said, hey, we've got a mess in the bathroom. Go clean it up. But he didn't do it. He cleaned up himself. You know what I found out about that guy? I could trust that guy with anything. And the most important thing is I could trust him with people. And he became my chief counselor. And now I say this about him. He's been on my staff for 20-plus years. I say, when I grow up, I want to be like Brian. Because he's a trustworthy man in the little things. And now I can entrust him with so much more. I was coming through uh, 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 a land. I, I fly through the land all the time. But I fly Delta most of the time coming out of South Florida. And um, I went in the bathroom. And, I, and you know, and I'm, believe it or not, I'm a little bit of a clean freak. I just, especially in bathrooms. And you know how men are. Because you're a man, okay? So uh, I go in there, and I'm kind of like in a surgical scrub mode. I go in there, hands up, hands high, don't touch anything. You know, it's elbows, knees, foot flush. I just went to the toilet downstairs, and I did a foot flush. I went, okay, get it down there. Here we go. And so I'm in there like this, doing this thing, and I love it. Praise God for everything automated now in, the, in, in at least Atlanta Airport. You know, you can put it on the soap. It hits you. You don't have to touch anything. In the fountain, it found, you know, you, you, and then it finally runs. You go, oh, that's good. And then you got to wave the hand now. Praise God, it comes. And so I'm sitting there, and, and the, the guy before me was a complete slob. He had, he had water everywhere, extra paper laying everything. And so I'm going, and this, it hit me. Always leave everything better than you found it. So I'm going, oh, okay. So I go, I get in that, and I pick up all the junk, and I go, and I start wiping everything down, and I go, I decide to polish I was going to polish, you know, the spigot, and I polished that sucker. And I got, man, then I got fired up. I'm cleaning this sucker up really good. You know, I'm doing this. Guys are coming up. I'm going, fruit, fruit. I'm handing them pals. They gave me a dollar. <laughs> hey, I, when I'm running short of money, I know what to do in Atlanta airport, baby. I'm going to get in and fruit, fruit, there you go. I interviewed, uh, eight national championship coaches, uh, to ask them how they basically went, the Jim Collins thing, you know, good to great. I said, how did you guys go from being a good team to a championship-level team? And I interviewed them. I wrote a book called The Leadership Game on it. And I was with Coach Coker after he won the national championship at the University of Miami. And, and Coach Coker said something to me as I was going back his history. He started off as the JV football coach, high school JV football coach. Now he's the coach of the national champions, at Miami University, which I know you all hate up here. Not too many like them in Florida either, you know what I mean? So I said, Coach, what was the secret for you? Here's what he said. He said a simple little thing. He said, I learned to bloom wherever I was planted. Whatever my assignment was, no matter how small or insignificant it may appear in the bigger scheme of things, I did it with excellence. I did it with commitment. 
I did it to the best of my ability every time. He said, you know what I learned? If you'll take what you have been given and do your best with it consistently, you'll never have to worry about advancement. Did you get that one? See, sometimes we wait and say, oh, no, when I get here, then I'm going to really, you know, get everything lined up and I'm really going to give my best shot. And do all... No, 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 no. If you're not giving it right where you are right now consistently, well, you're not going to do it when you get there. Oh, yeah. And then some people, well, I need a change of circumstances. I mean, a change of environment or a change of, of location. No, no, no. The change is in here. It's about the attitude of the heart. Now, here's, here's my definition of, of what excellence does. Excellence honors God and inspires others. When you do anything with excellence, it honors God and inspires others. I was coming through the New York airport, and by the way, back when they first started this, the screening, okay, and people were so impatient in this line. And I was, I was all, and we're all rushed, you know, hit the airport. And the line was unbelievably long. And people are cussing. People are just tore up in this thing. And, you know, when they first started with all this screening and all this stuff, and there's a, there's a woman standing up there. And she's up there at the front of the line. And I saw this woman handling people. And she was just problem solving and diffusing the anger and the frustration. And by the time I got up to her, I had two questions for her. I said, ma'am, I want to ask you something. Are you a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ? And she said, yes, I am. And I said, I could tell it from the back of the line. And I said, the second thing, how do you like Florida? <laughs> I said, I pastor a church in Florida. I'd like to hire you. I've been watching you for about the last 15 minutes. And I said, anybody that can handle this New York crowd, <laughs> they can handle anybody. You know what I mean? I'll put you in charge of public relations for our church. I said, all you got to do is want to come to Florida. And, and, I, and I gave her my card. I said, here, I'm serious. It's gone. I said, you pray about it. God lays you in your heart. you got a job waiting on you. You know why? That woman was taking that difficult job at that moment and doing it to the best of her ability. She was doing it with excellence. Oh, wow. There's something about that, guys. Can't get away from it. So no matter what it is, I'm going to be conscientious in the small things. That's what Grandpa said. He said, be faithful in the small hidden things and be trustworthy. You know, that's, that's one of the biggest elements that we're looking for. You know, you, Terry made a joke about you could trust me because of my golf game so bad. And, um, but, you know, is there anything greater we can say of one another than we can trust each other? And we live in a world where... Very few people really are free to trust because somewhere along the line, they were betrayed. And if you were betrayed early in your life, you struggle with trust issues. Just no doubt about it. I deal with too many people that are struggling with the trust issue. Who do I trust? Because they were betrayed. The trust was betrayed with them. We have so many growing up that are in our families, we had divorce. It was a form of betrayal. Who can I really trust? If there's been abandonment, who can I really trust? The shocking thing to me is this, and I mean, I was pretty naive about all this. What I started learning years ago, when I started really getting, in, getting with men and getting men to open up, how many men have suffered abuse as children? I was shocked. Shocked how many guys have had to deal with that and carry that with them. I had one of my elders 
we, I preached a sermon on forgiveness, and I never forget after the service, he came up and he, he bowed over here at, at one of our altars over on the side, and he was weeping. I mean weeping. And I never seen him ever come to the altar except to pray with other people and minister to people, but never come on his own. And I went over and put my arm around him, and I, and I, and, and, and I, said, I, said, I said, J.D., how, how can I pray for you? And he said, Pastor, I've never told anyone this. Never told anyone. But I had an uncle who sexually abused me when I was a boy, repeatedly. And he said, I have held such hatred and bitterness towards this man. He said, and I realize I've got to release this into God's hands. I've got, I've got to let go of this. I can't let this poison me any longer. And he made that confession to me. It was actually shocking to me. First of all, to think that anyone would do that to a boy, let alone do that to a girl. I mean, I'm, I'm, I can't get hold of that. I think there's a special level of hell for that. I, I don't know, but that's just my theory. I'm, just, I'm releasing that into God's hands. He said, that's why I have struggled with trust. He said, and then he said, the highest compliment anybody could ever say, he looked at me and he said, I'm so glad I can trust you. And I held him in my arms. He wept in my arms like a, and he was older than me. He laid his head on my shoulder and wept like a baby. And I held him. Trust. Being faithful. Is there any areas in our lives that we've compromised in some of the small things? Here's the second life principle that's a key fundamental. Grandpa would always say this, son, always give more than is expected. Whatever is expected of you, always give more. In other words, what did Jesus say? If a man forces you to go a mile, what should you do? Go the second mile. I think one of the keys to us living lives of excellence to stand out in everything we do is when we are we become second milers. We become people no matter what they expect of us, we do more. I had a summer job uh, working in a in a dairy uh, in Hamilton, Ohio, and it was a seal test dairy, and they made ice cream. This was an ice cream place, and uh, they I worked in the freezers, so the ice cream come off the conveyor belts. We loaded up in these these wire baskets and stack them up and then we'd slide them on the ice floors over and let them sit overnight. It hardened up. Then we'd take and load them into delivery trucks and that was what, and that was what it was. And, and they had, a, they had a, a deal there that you could only, you're only supposed to go in the freezer for 20 minutes, out for 10, in the freezer, because I don't know, it was 30-something below zero, something in there, and we're dressed up like Eskimos and the whole deal. And then, then the guys would come along and want you to load their trucks and they're getting paid on commission, so they want their trucks loaded and get out there get, and get their sales done. And so I started going in there and loading guys' trucks and staying in there for like two hours at a time to get their trucks loaded and get them out. And so they started coming and asking me to load all their trucks. And actually, some of the other workers that have been there a long time said, hey, Mullen, slow down. You're making us look bad. I'm going, what? They said, yeah, you're making us look bad. He says, you're working too hard. I said, really? That's how I've been raised. If you've got a job, do the job, do it well, and do it and finish it. May I tell you something? I never had to worry about another job at that dairy. Foreman came to me at the end of the summer and said, Son, you're one of the best workers I've ever had here. You've got a job here anytime you want it. And if you want to come back here and work full-time, I'll get you a full-time job. I said, Well, thank you. I'm going to be a coach. But I came back the next summer, worked there again. 
And I said, can I get overtime? He says, you can work as many hours as you want to work, son. I said, good. And I got after it. So we were working 16 hours. Because I had to make my money in the summertime. I'm on a football scholarship, and I got married at 20, had a baby at 21, and we're in college. So, man, the summertime, I had to make it fly. I had a kid walk into me one time, and he said, uh, Pastor, I need some help. I need a little financial help, and I need some financial help. I said, you do? Good. He came in. He said, I was mean. I, by the way, I tell people, don't come to me for counseling. I'm not a counselor. I'm a coach. I'll coach you, but I won't counsel you, okay? There's a big difference. To be a good counselor, you've got to be a listener. I'm not a good listener. <laughs> you've got to be empathetic. You, you, you've got, you know, you've got to be understanding. I'm not none of that. I'm none of that. I, I just said, so tell me what the problem is. So he told me, and he said this, and he says, you know, and I really got this, and I've got a, I, I took a vacation. He said, I took about three months off, but I really needed to rest, and I got all this debt, and I needed a church to help me get out of the debt. And I said, wait a minute, wait, wait, wait. This guy's in his, you know, he's in his 20s. I'm saying, you're in your 20s, and you're asking the church to help you get out of debt because you took a three-month vacation and put us all on your credit cards. Is that right? He says, right. I said, son, I got the answer for you. It's called Plan 16. He said, what's that? I said, you need to work 16 hours a day, six days a week, and guess what? You'll get out of debt. Oh, I can't do that. I said, yes, you can, because the church isn't going to give you flip. <laughs> now, I didn't say this to him, but my dad would have said, he's sorry. Yeah, sorry thing. Get to work. That was my dad. I'm not crude like that. That sorry thing. He needed to go to work. It's amazing when we keep that attitude that, you know what, whatever's expected of us, we're going to always give that extra step. We're going to get there a few minutes early to our job. We're going to stay a few minutes late. We're going to do everything because suddenly we become the salt and light and we gain influence in our lives, in the lives of others, when we are second milers. One thing I've learned is I want to find second milers and run with them. When I was a freshman, I went to... A to play at Georgetown, which is a small school in Kentucky. And, and in Ohio, I had been an all-state player, and I made some honorable mention All-American teams, and, and I thought I was pretty good stuff. And I had a cousin who we had played peewee football all the way up through high school ball, and we were the captains, and he got no scholarship offers except the one school. And I had some scholarship offers at some of the ACC schools and some other schools and some of the mid-American schools, and Georgetown College had offered him a scholarship and me. So I decided, okay, let's keep playing together. I'll go to a small pond and be a big fish in a small pond. That was my thinking, okay? So we, we go down there. Three days into training camp, my cousin sneaks out in the middle of the night, quits the team, hitchhikes back to Ohio, and he leaves me at Georgetown. Well, I'm ripped now. What am I doing here in this school? And I came for my cousin. He left. We didn't talk for a couple of years. I would have punched his lights out. <laughs> now, remember, I wasn't a pastor then. <laughs> but I'd never been through anything like that. I thought I was in great shape. You know, I came in there about, I was a running back. I was about 210 at the time. And I thought I was in great shape. And, man, they just killed us. We were going through those practices. It, it's one thing I learned. To hit, to hit a 250-pound boy is one thing. But when you hit a 280-pound man, and some of these men had just come back from the jungles of Vietnam, they had strange looks on their faces. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, I don't know about this Agent Orange and all that stuff, but these, these boys had strange looks on far away, distant looks on their faces, you know. And I think they'd killed people in the jungles, and they were about there to kill us. 
And back then, it was open season on freshmen. Kill every freshman you can. Drive them off. Kill them any way you can do it. There were fights every day to survival on that field. And then back then, any of you who are anywhere near my age, back then, of course, I, you know, I, don't know, I know like maybe two of you are. Back then, they wouldn't let us have water. They thought water made you weak. We're out there so dehydrated. They don't give us water. We're sneaking little salt tablets around and trying to suck on a salt tablet. In a practice, and we—I remember one practice. They made us weigh before practice and weigh after practice. I lost 13 pounds in two hours of water weight in my body. And guys were throwing up; they were passing out, and they're leaving by the groves. These freshmen just getting in, and the upperclassmen are going like notching their gun. <laughs> Got another one, boom. And so I'm out there, and for the first time, I'm thinking, "Am I going to make it?" I threw up everything I'd eaten and felt like for like two days. I was totally dehydrated, exhausted. And then the coach comes up, blows his whistle, and says, all right, line up for wind sprints. Wind sprints? We had to run these 40-yard wind sprints at the end of every practice. I, my legs are quivering. I'm actually shaking. I'm, my legs are quivering. My body's quivering. And I'm in, I'm in a real serious place. I'm amazed more people didn't literally die on the field, the way these guys treat us. But that was the mentality. And so I'm over there, so I, I, I kind of line up, and, and I'm quivering, and I can hardly get down into a stance. And I'm thinking, for the first time in my life, I don't know if I can make it. I was actually thinking about, I, I'm just, I don't know if I can make it. I was ready to just lay down on the field and let them just drag me off and throw me in a hospital and throw me in an ice tub and give me an IV and save my life. I mean, you know, I, that was where I was. And this senior All-American fullback, came up beside me. His name was Charlie. Charlie came up beside me. Now, now, fresh, now, remember this now. Upperclassmen did not talk to freshmen. Okay? He came up beside me and he said, Hey, rookie. I was amazed he knew my name. Rookie. <laughs> I was impressed. He said, hey, he, said, he said, Hey, rookie. He said, Run with me. He saw me. He, he knew what was going on. He'd been there as a freshman too. And something happened. When he said, run with me, he took off. And, man, I just kind of drafted off him. I drafted right down through the line, turned around. I followed him. I drafted him in. Somehow, I got through that practice. Guess where I was every practice after that for every drill? I was his shadow. Wherever Charlie was, I was right there with him. He taught me how to pace myself, how to go through it. We developed a friendship, had two or three good fights. And our team, you had to average a good fight a day. Or you weren't a man. You know what I mean? That's just where our team was. And then one day we got in a fight, and I learned later he was a Baptist preacher. And they nicknamed me preacher as a freshman. Because he took me over to a fraternity party at the University of Kentucky. And, and I didn't know what a fraternity party was. I mean, I was clueless, you know. And, and I went over with the guys to a fraternity party after a game, and we went up to the door, and this, and this girl in her brawling panties opens the door. Okay? And she's standing there with a bottle of beer and her bra and panties. I'm an 18-year-old boy. Hello. <laughs> and I looked in the room, and people are laying around all over that room making out and all the stuff going on, and I, the music's playing, and everybody's drinking, and all the guys on our team saying, come on, moms, let's go. And I stood in the doorway and would not go in there. I just froze. I knew I can't go in there. No way. So I went out and sat in the car for hours waiting on them. And they got back, and they made fun of me, and then they nicknamed me Preacher. Little did they know, or little did I know, <laughs> one day, 
I'd be a preacher. I'm glad I did not step in that room because I don't think I've been strong enough to step in that room. And by the way, she was a 12. <laughs> Sanctify my thoughts, Lord, I pray. Amen. <laughs> There's something about running with finding men who are second milers and drafting off of them so you learn how to become a second miler yourself. That's an important principle. That's what's so great about this right here. This dynamic, you have no idea how critical this is to your lives. Some of you are Charlies and some of you are rookies. And Charlies, you need to look for the rookies. Rookies, you need to look for the Charlies. And you know, this weekend, you could hook up. And it can make all the difference in the world in your life, in your walk with God, your marriage, your family, when you hook up with the right guy. It's critical. We're going to talk more about that tomorrow morning. Let me give you the final thing here. Grandpa said this to me. He's, I can't tell you how many times he always said this. He said, son, whatever you do, remember this. You want to live a life that brings honor to God. And you want to live a life that brings honor to our family. He was big on honor. He talked about honor a lot to me. I don't know if we talk enough about honor. Enough. But you know, that's one of the reasons I didn't step into that room. I mean, that fraternity at Pratt House that night. Because I knew that would not be honoring to anyone. I backed out. That stayed with me. I think that when we honor God, we honor Him by, listen to me, we honor Him when we align our lives and our worldview with His divine truth. And we allow His truth and His principles of truth to guide us in every step of our lives, how we think, how we see life, the decisions we make, how we love our families, how we love our church, how we are men of integrity in our work, trustworthiness, everything about it. That's how we honor. The other thing Grandpa always told me was, son, make sure you honor others. Be a person who honors others. This whole thing of affirmation is a, is a key, key principle. I'm learning all the time, Pastor, as I've been pastoring for 30 years with our guys, how many men have never been affirmed in their life? It's like, you know, never been affirmed. I had this guy... Uh, there's no one in here his size. I'm looking. Yeah, there's none of you in here his size. I have this guy in my church. It's built like a, a, a side-by-side refrigerator, okay? So can you picture a big double-door refrigerator? That's what he's, he's about that thick and about that wide, okay? He comes waddling down. He didn't walk. He waddles. And he comes waddling down front one time about a couple years ago, and it was standing over here to my side, and, and I was ministering to some people and praying with people and doing different things. And he just waited patiently for me. I got down and walked over to him, and, and I said, how can I pray for you? And he said, well, I want you to pray for my mother or my aunt or something like that in the family. And when he got down, I said, I looked at him and said, son, how are you doing? And he looked at me, and he was telling me something. I said, well, son, give me a hug. And he, he kind of backed up like this. He, he kind of leaned back, you know, because I'm a hugger. And I said, come, give me a hug. And, and he backed up a little bit more. I said, come here and give me a hug. And so I grabbed him. Whoop! And that's about as far as I got. I didn't get any way around. I, you know, this is, I grabbed my cat and I said, son, I just want you to know I love you. 
When I said that, he shrunk down, dropped his head on my shoulder, started crying like a baby. His wife standing behind him, she's crying like a baby. And after this whole thing was over, his wife said to me, Pastor, you are the first man who's ever told my husband that he loved him, and you're the first man that's ever hugged him. His father never told him he loved him, had never hugged him. He's never known what it is to have the affirmation of another man. Now, you would think that's odd, but it's not. I'm finding for many men, down in Florida anyways, that's more of the norm. My dad was that way. I, I don't remember my dad ever saying, son, I love you. I don't ever remember getting much affirmation from my father at all. Except he showed up on football games. I said, that's great. One night, I rushed, uh, uh, I rushed one night for 276 yards, five touchdowns. That's a pretty decent night, don't you think? <laughs> now, we were paying the Rosarian School of the Blind, but I still thought it was a good game, you know? <laughs> And so, you know, I, so I could run off the field like a little puppy dog. I run right up to my dad, waiting for some affirmation. I had a great game. I run over and he starts pointing out to me all the mistakes I made in the game. That's, that's what he did. Never did affirm me. I had to wait and read in the paper to get some affirmation. We all want that. Why did I love my grandfather so much? Because he was an affirming man. Till the day he died, when I would walk into my grandfather's house, arms are open. Come here, Tommy. He'd say, give me a kiss. He'd give me a big old kiss right on the lips. Boom. Now, don't any of you come up and kiss me on the lips. I, 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 that's a little too far for this. You know, Grandpa's it's okay. And then when you'd leave the house, you'd have to kiss him to say goodbye. So well, how did I raise my son? I grab him, hug him, kiss him, 47 years old. I have a grandson who's turning 18 here soon. He knows as soon as he walks in the house, walk right to Grandpa, plant one around the lips. Here we go. Come on, baby, give me a kiss. Boop, boop. You know, he said, Grandpa at church, don't kiss me on the lips at church, Grandpa. I said, you know, so I don't kiss him on the lips at church. I just hug him. Hit him on the butt and say, come on, tuck it up and get tough. You know. Affirmation is important, guys. Affirmation is important. I want to tell you, Charlie, something. Your rookies need a lot of affirmation. And by the way, rookies, Charlie needs some affirmation too. Don't be afraid to tell somebody you love them. Don't be afraid to give them a man. Now, don't give them no sissy hug. Give them a manly hug. I could tell you more about that, but I'm going to move on. Finally, honor your commitments. Be a person of honor that honors God, honors others, and you honor your commitments. Grandpa always said, son, finish whatever you start. Don't ever leave anything unfinished. Be a person who is honorable. When you commit to something, you finish it. Period. Everything tries to get us to quit. I don't care who you are. They try to get you to quit the things that are most important that you fulfill your commitments in. Whether it be your marriage, whatever it is, the enemy will try to come want you to quit. I got to tell you one football story and I'll let you go. I took over a high school team in Florida, and um, this team had, it was a new school. They'd only been in operation about four or five years and had not had a winning record. Matter of fact, they, I think one year they won four games. That was the most games they'd ever won in this school. 
They only had like 20-some kids playing on the team. So when I came down to take over and they offered me the head job, I said, okay. So I took the job. I went out, man, I'm hustling everybody in the hallways. I'm going to churches. I'm going everywhere I can in the community. If you remember back and, and, and uh, remember the Titans, Denzel Washington, that story, uh, that story was us, but put a white coach in, the, in that story, okay? We had integration for the first time in our school, and it was amazing, but, but God helped us, and we had an unbelievable team came out of that, great team. Um, so I'm down there, and so <laughs> I'm hustling all this. So to my surprise, first day of tryouts, I got 100 guys came out for the team, 100, 100 guys. Oh, wow. And I had this no-cut policy. If you come out, you work hard, you know, you're going to dress for games, you're going to be a part of the team. So, man, we're passing out equipment. We lined the guys up according to who was the most athletic-looking guys who played the year before. We made sure they had good equipment right on down to the final player. The final player looked a lot like this microphone right here. I mean, this uh, stand. I don't know if he was this tall, he, he, but he was – here he is right here. Okay. So he comes up to me. This is about the size of his head right here. You're not that tall. How do I get this thing down? There we go. There we go. That's about, here we go. So his name was Carl Pierce. And Carl Pierce comes up, and I said, Carl, what position are you going to play? He said, Coach, I'm going to be a wide receiver. I said, okay, wide receiver. I said, we got any wide receiver pads over there? The guy says, no, Coach, we ain't ain't got any more shoulder pads. And I said, we got something, haven't we? He said, well, we got one pair. I said, bring them out and make them fit. They bring out this pair of shoulder pads. We had this guy that played the year before that was a defensive lineman who weighed close to 300 pounds. Now, you can tell that Carl doesn't hardly weigh 100 pounds. You know what I mean right here? And so, so we bring the shoulder pads out. I, I put them down over Carl. This is no joke. They slid down over his shoulder. He stuck his arm up through the neck hole, and he says, I think they're a little big. I said, no, son. Think about this way. You can catch a ball from any angle, any position you want to, you know, whatever, you know, whatever. I mean, literally, you can spin those things around on him. We took, we just took old athletic towels, and we taped them up underneath the shoulder pads and tried to make them fit. But no matter what he would do when he ran, it, it, they would fall off of him, fall off his shoulder. I said, son, what, what size uh, helmets you need? He said, I'm a six. A six? That's a pinhead. Who in the world wears a six? I said, we got any sixes in there? And the guy said, no, coach, we only got one helmet left. We'd used the varsity, junior varsity, freshman equipment. We used it all. I think they were borrowing equipment from the peewee leagues. So he brought the helmet out, and you guessed it. It was the guy who wore the shoulder pads. just like a, he had a melon head, you know, one of the big old heads like this. I took that helmet, stuck it on him. It was a joke. We put triple cheek pads in it, took socks this time, and stuffed socks up all around him. to try. But no matter when he would run, he looked like a bobble doll, and everything would bobble, and eventually it would work its way around his nose and sticking out the ear hole. You know what I mean? Well, we only had one pair of pants left. Yeah, they, they fit that guy. Carl could put both his legs down one pants. No joke. We had no belts left, so I took shoestrings. Tied him together and tried to strap him around his pants. So have you got him pictured here? When he had come out, the first time he tried to do a jumping jack, his pants fell down. That's true. Fell all the way down. He's picking them up. So now he's doing only one-handed. He could hit the other And then he had to shift, hold the pants, and go the other hand. And the only thing he'd do in practice was hold a blocking dummy. He'd hold a dummy or hold something and hold his pants. So everywhere you see Carl, he's always here. He's just holding his pants, holding his pants up here, walking around, you know, stuff going. And, I mean, the guys made fun of him. They did it. I mean, anybody in their right mind would have quit. But this boy refused to quit. He had a passion to play the game, and he had zero talent, zero athletic body, and nobody believed in him. 
but the kid wouldn't quit. I'm surprised he made it through summer practice, but he did somehow miraculously, so I had to dress him for the games, and I promised I would, and I hit him between my biggest players, and he ran out, and I told him, line up at the very back and stand still. Don't move. So we're all going to our calisthenics. You look back there, here's Carl. Like this. So we won our first game. We won our second game. We won our third game. We won our fourth game. We're trailing in our fifth game the whole game. About two minutes to go in the game, we, we score the, we score the go-ahead touchdown, and all we gotta do is hold them for one defensive series, and we will now be 5-0. and oh. We set a new record. We're gonna be ranked in the state. I'm thinking state championship 5-0. and oh. All we gotta do is hold them for, for two more minutes, okay? And this was a ranked team in our state. I'm all fired up. I look out on the, on the kickoff team, and I had a guy from, Florida State, his name was War Caesar Jakes, big guy. And, and, and War Caesar was our specialty teams coach. And I'm looking out there and I see, War, we only got 10 guys on the field. Referee, timeout, timeout. He said, you're out of timeouts, coach. I turned to War Caesar and I said, get somebody on that field. He turns, without even looking, grabs the first person standing beside him and throws him onto the field. And my, my biggest nightmare in slow motion just went before me as Carl Pierce, holding his pants, is thrust onto the field. He doesn't know where to line up. I don't know if he knows which direction to run. He's the outside containment. This team likes to run up the sideline. What are we going to do? I turned around and looked at War Caesar Jakes. Now remember, I was not a pastor. I couldn't believe it. This is going to cost us the game. The whistle blew. The team went running down the field. I swear, no joke, I thought body parts were falling off Carl Pierce. He was running. Just things are flapping everywhere. Just flapping. He's running down there. And suddenly there's this collision about the 25-yard line. And the guys are screaming. Next thing I know, fumble, fumble. I said, who's got the ball? Who's got the ball? I got it, coach. I got it, coach. He comes running off, holding his pants. Helmet sideways, he's got the ball. That's it. War Caesar Jakes is going, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. It's no joke. I, I got the film. Saturday morning, I couldn't wait. I forwarded through the whole thing to get to that play. Carl went running down the field. This is no joke. His helmet came sideways. He did not see where he was going. And the running, the running back ran right into him. The, the return guy ran right into Carl and got tangled up in him. And Carl lets go of his pants, throws his hand up, and knocks the ball loose. One of our guys spears Carl in the back and knocks him onto the ball. And he's going, what's this? And picks it up. Oh, I got it. And comes running off the field. Unbelievable. So Monday morning, I, I go to the principal's office. I get a pass to get Carl out of class. And I said, son, come with me. I drove him down to the sporting goods store. Went into the peewee football department. <laughs> and I said, son, we're going to get you some pads that fit you. So I got him shoulder pads and got him a helmet, got him pants, and Got him three pairs of socks because he didn't have any calf muscles. He just had kind of sticky legs like him. He, he wanted to beat them up, and I beat them up. 
taped the socks up on him and got him some new shoes and got him all fixed up. And we're all done. He said, Coach, I said, is there anything else you need, son? He says, yeah, Coach, I want some thumpers. I said, thumpers? What do you want thumpers for? Now, back when I was playing, high school guys called their forearm pads thumpers because they would whoop, whoop upside your head, thump you upside the head. And so they called them thumpers. He said, I want some thumpers. I said, what do you want thumpers for? I said, you're a receiver. He said, no, Coach. He says, I think I'm going to become a specialty team specialist. I said, really? You are? He says, yeah, I think that's what I'm going to be. I said, all right. So I got him some thumpers. Brought him out. Monday, I had everybody get out on the field, and I said, wait. Then Carl got dressed. We brought him out on the field, and everybody started cheering Carl. He led us in calisthenics. He was the honorary team captain that week. And to honor him, to honor him, I decided to put him in on the first kickoff play between my best two athletes in the center of the field. You know what I discovered? Running backs were drawn to Carl Pierce. (laughs) Hey, he went running down the field, you know, just kind of spastic running down the field like this. And the running back ran right up to him, ran over him, tripped over him again. Carl was like running into barbed wire, just kind of wrapped around you, just kind of, you know. The most unorthodox looking tack. And boom, the kid hits the deck. I'm going, what's this? He made a tackle. He recovered a fumble. You know what the guys did at the end of that year? They voted him the most improved player on our team. And next year he was voted as a specialty team captain of our team. That boy taught me something. Nobody else believed in him. Nothing he had fit him. Worked right. He had every reason in the world to quit, but he didn't because he had a desire in his heart to be a part of that team. It says in 2 Chronicles 16, 9, The eyes of the Lord range throughout all the earth, looking to show himself strong on behalf of that one whose heart is fully committed to me. All God's looking for. He's not looking for everything to be perfect and for everything to fit right. What he's looking for is the desire of the heart to run hard after him. So guys, this weekend, I want you to grab up your spiritual pants and I want you to run hard after God. God bless you. I love you.